Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, March 3rd. Today we are we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 12, and we'll be starting with the first paragraph, going through three paragraphs, ending with I stood in the sunlight at last. Today's readers are Mary B., Stephanie L., Paula D. The reference number for Thursdays, 7 a.m. meeting Eastern Standard Time is 9677. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Meeting was 9678. And for this morning's Friday 7 a.m. meeting is 9681. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nancy T. to read the 12 steps. Thank you. Good morning, Julie. This is Nancy T. from Lewiston, Idaho. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy T. I will now ask Sharon C. to read the 12 traditions. Sharon C. star one to unmute. Me? <laughs> Hello? Okay, yeah. good. Okay, I'm sorry. This is Sharon C., a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, 
The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you, Sharon C. How our Thank meeting you. works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 12, paragraph 1, starting with despite the living example of my friend, going through the third paragraph, which ends, I stood in the sunlight of the spirit. And we can comment on all. I will now ask Mary B. to begin reading. Thank you, Julie. Can you hear me? I can. Great. Thank you, dear. This is Mary B. Gratefully Recovered in uh, Southwest Arizona. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. When the thought expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. I didn't like the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of the czar of the heavens, however loving his sway may be. I have since talked with scores, <clears throat> excuse me, scores of men who felt the same way. My friend suggested what then seemed a novel idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? 
that statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. And I set my timer. I um, The last two or three weeks that we've been reading about um, Bill W. and his drop to his very, very bottom, and then the beginning of his rise. It's such a beautiful, beautiful story. It is so inspiring. Just a lovely, lovely story. And um, I, you know, my story was different. There there was a a TV show years ago called The Naked City, and it uh, uh, they started out saying there are 8 million stories in the naked city, and this is one of them. Well, I think that's kind of true here, too, in these rooms. And I've been around a long time, and I've heard a lot of stories. Mine is quite different from Bill's. Um, I uh, came in, in spite of coming into the rooms with this very fearful God. That's, that's all I had ever been told about God was that God would punish me. And in spite of coming into the rooms with that kind of a higher power, I wanted what I saw in the people in the room who had that spiritual glow. They had something, and I always wanted it. I had had a spiritual experience many years before And uh, actually, it was in childbirth with my first um, baby. Didn't know it until years and years later. So through the years in program, I did a lot of things. I, I did whatever those people that I admired told me to do or suggested. I read many books. I uh, went to lectures. I uh, studied transcendental meditation. I went to Est and became an Est hole, and uh, went to classes and uh, prayer therapy groups. I joined a church. I did so many things that I, I thought would help me help me to get a better understanding. I had to change my concept of God. I had to learn to trust that God in all areas of my life. That's what really took time. And I look back sometimes and I think, what a waste, what a waste of time. But actually, I believe that everything I did, every class I went to, every lecture I listened to, every meeting, every uh, training I took, all contributed to my being where I am today, which is in a place of total peace and contentment with the higher power that I have found dwelling within me all the time. It's been there all the time. And that's my timer. I thank you very much for the opportunity to share and to be of service this morning, and I pass. Thank you, Mary V. And who would like to share on these three paragraphs? Judy F.M. in Wisconsin. Judy F.M., okay. 
Sylvia. Dora. Sylvia. Dora M. Dora M. Paula D. Terry C. Terry C. Okay, let's start with that. Judy F. M. Followed by Sylvia F. Oh, Judy S. Okay. Okay. Good morning. This is Judy F.M. in Sister Bay, Wisconsin. Thank you for your service. The phrase that I want to concentrate on is, I stood in the sunlight at last. I am presently working on on the 12-step workshop and study guide with 11 women on the phone for a 15-week study. And I was asked the question, why are you doing this study? And my answer to them was because I want to continue to establish a deeper relationship with my higher power, who I do call God. And I'm learning that by my past experiences of eating and binging, it was impossible for me personally to have that feeling of living in the sunlight of the spirit. Today I am living in that. And I want to share with you Um, many years ago, I went through the steps with a Vision for You sponsor because I felt like I wasn't good enough unless I did it with a Vision for You sponsor. I know today that that is not true. When she and I were reading step three, we both got on our knees in our own homes and I was looking out the window as it was pouring. It was pouring rain. And as we completed step three, Uh, the prayer for step three on our knees, the sunlight came out, shone through the window on my face, and I just started to cry. And today what that tells me is that if I maintain a healthy attitude, I'm honest, and I surrender, I will see the sunlight of the Spirit. And more and more things are being revealed to me every day while I work this program. And I'm grateful for all of you and this new phone line at 9 a.m. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Judy F.M. And Sylvia F., followed by Dora M. Good morning, visionaries. Good morning, Julie R. Thank you for your service. This is Sylvia F. in a recovery compulsive over here in, in California. Boy, is that still hard for me to switch coasts like that. Very happy to be here with all of you. And this, the line I want to look at is, it melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered for many years. And, you know, this whole concept of um, the living example that uh, Ebby is, is illustrating, you know, it, it can't be intellectual. It can't be um, theoretical. It has to be um, uh, a spiritual experience that happens uh, through my heart over time. And that's what I found is that when I made a decision that I was willing to believe, it doesn't, you know, I didn't get struck by you know, this spiritual surrender that now was going to be easy and perfect and wonderful. What happened is that through the step work and surrendering on a daily basis and surrendering to a, a, a higher power that I hadn't identified over time, then I did. 
I did I was able to surrender without having to know and that is still true early on um, what I picked was nature because I could absolutely see and it's not like I even defined it I remember walking through this incredible uh, coconut grove and and mango grove and and looking around and saying well I, I could believe in this and that's how kind of I started it's like well I, that's something I could believe in and then it's evolved over time. And so I, I'm still in the process of choosing your own conception of God. But what I love this about this whole process of faith and surrender is faith is believing in something that I don't know about and that, that that's good enough. And, and the payback for it is I don't have to live in my head. I don't have to respond to... Um, uh, things that uh, to perceptions I have about other people and situations that don't even exist. I can surrender all of that. I was living in my head all the time. It's one of the ways that I can get out of my head, and I can uh, I can reheal myself. I can be healed, and I can be present for others. And um, that's the deal: being present for others. Uh, whether in my family or to those still suffering. So this is a process um, and that gets easier for me every day, and my life is really, really lovely. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia F. And Dora M., followed by Paula D. Dora, star one to unmute. Can you hear me? This is Dora. I, yes, I can now. Thank oh, you. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, this is this is Dora M. from Maine, uh, recovered compulsive eater, and thank you for your service. Um, I I love the the uh, I love the big book and especially Bill's story because it just takes takes us right through all his pain, and then when we start getting into this, this is just such you know so full of hope. But the first paragraph, it just struck me that I, I love the fact that this program is open to anyone, no matter where they are on the spiritual or religious um, spectrum. It's, it's just uh, anyone can be, have a transformed life. And the second paragraph where Eddie says, why don't you choose your own conception of God, to me that's where the seed was planted. In, in Bill's little mind, and then the next next paragraph, it took root. And for me, it uh, just speaks of such hope. It, like, went from his head, you know, the icy intellectual mountain. Um, that when, when I lift my head, it's it can be very cold. But when I take things to heart and things move from my head to my heart, that's where the beauty is. That's where that sunlight and the warmth and just the, the you know, the flowers start popping up and all that. That's when all that happens is when it goes, when I take things into my heart. And for me, it's been, certainly been a process. It's, it's been quite a journey. But each, each um, experience that I've had has contributed to where I am now, and today, I truly 
feel that I am standing in the sunlight of the spirit. And I'm so grateful for this process. Um, it's, it's connected to my heart. It has is, it is gone into my heart. And um, thank you for allowing me to share, and uh, I pass. Thank you, Dora M. And Paula D., followed by Terry C. And thank you. Thank you for your service today, my California friend. And this would be Paula from Paula D. from Florida, East Coast, at this point. And um, recovered by and with the grace of God. And we seem to see the grace of God in action. I want to read this. That statement hit me hard. Now I'll read the statement. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? Why did that hit him hard? Wouldn't you think that would have been like, wow, great. But look at what he goes on. You've been here. It melted the icy intellectual mountain. Not a hill, not a thought, a mountain. Because let me tell you, it grows. The intellect, what we think. Now, you know, we, we think of the intellect as to describe intense reasoning and deep thinking, particularly in relation to subjects that tend to spark deep discussion, you know, such as, why is it I'm drinking when I don't want to drink? Why is it I'm such a failure in life when my goal was to be a success? Do you see all the thinking? Upon thinking, upon thinking, and this is what happens. One And think of ice. It's hard. It's unmoving. Think of a glacier. Honey, that thing ain't going to move. But look at what happens. I have lived and shivered many years. Oh, you bet. Such confusion. I want. I want a happy life, a joyous life. What I have. This part, I stood in the sunlight at last. Can you see? Can you see it now, what melted within himself? He stopped thinking. See, that was it. I was thinking so much, thought upon thought about thought. When I stopped, then God could come through. And it said, and he used this analogy, and I love it, I stood. You see, he wasn't standing. This man was crawling until perhaps he was on his knees. I stood in the sunlight at last. Thank you for allowing me to share in the time given. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And Terry C., you're next. Thank you. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Terry C., a recovered compulsive reader in South Jersey. And I am so grateful for this 10 o'clock meeting. It's my first time on the meeting. I'm so grateful. Uh, I so much about these paragraphs, but the word God still aroused a certain antipathy, a strong or deep-rooted dislike. I can relate to that. I had the moment when somebody expressed that there might be a God personal to me, and I had an intense feeling. The intense feeling was that couldn't be so. I didn't like the idea. And I think it was because my intellect at the time told me that it was a punishing God. I had convinced myself from all the lessons and all the religion and and I'm not saying it's what was literally handed to me but what I heard through the years was that I wasn't worthy that I was punishable and I wasn't certain my God was forgiving because I chose to see it that way and then just like Bill 
people will call me and they will say, how, do you, how did you find your connection with your higher power? How did you find it? I look at this sentence, why don't you choose your own conception of God? What do you think, Terry? What do you think God is? What do you deserve God to be? Those were the kinds of thoughts that my higher power allowed my mind to open up and think so that my intellectual mountain could melt, that icy mountain could melt. The one that I had stayed in so many years thinking there was a good list and a bad list, and I was definitely not on the good list. And I also love the sunlight at last, because to me, sunlight is warmth. It's embraceable warmth. It's love. And I know that's such a vision, it's such a a visual of what happened to me when a speaker said, God loves you more than you love your own children. And I could quantify that. I could quantify that. And and someone else said to me, what what makes you think God isn't compassionate and, and is sympathetic when you have difficulty and is empathetic when you have what what makes you think that's not what God is like when I could pry my mind open to a loving God because the intellect from all the years before that I shivered in wouldn't let me think of that loving God the sunlight came the warmth came his arms were around me and with that I'll pass thank you Terry C and who else would like to share on these paragraphs Melanie C Melanie C Nadia John K. John K. Nikita A. Um, we got to say those again. There's three at once. Christine Nikita. M. Lynn P. Christine, Christine M. Lynn Nikita P. Okay, after Lynn B, there was somebody H. All right, well, we'll go with Melanie C. and Nadia B. Go ahead. Hi, good morning, Julie. Thanks for your service. Melanie C. calling in from Oregon this morning. I wanted to build a thought um, from the couple of lines here that say, why don't you choose your own conception of God? The statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. Um, I don't know, and I'm just thinking about this. I'm thinking about this being my my ego and my, um, my rebelliousness and my need to really hang on to everything to control and run it and i'm wondering if bill is feeling that same thing of course he's had some experiences with it and he's moving towards that idea but for me i'm thinking more in lines of it may have little to do with god or the development of my idea of god but more to do with the evidence of the manifestation of my disease that i'm i'm in contempt of most anything that's going to ask me to take something away, let alone something I can't feel, touch, or see, and things that, on my mind, have um, failed me. And that's certainly the idea here. You know, my heart was so hardened, and I'm just coming up out of that at this particular point, so hardened and cynical and suspect of all things that I bristled at many, many ideas that were given to me. It's the last control over my life, and I'm in a panic and I'm going to give it to this God thing that I had decided was was just many things. And I won't be too descriptive there, but it was many things. But it seemed like the last one that was asked of me to do. And I had no idea to, how to do that. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how it really worked. Um, it gave me a tremendous amount of pain. Why in the heck would I turn towards that? Why in the heck would I turn towards that? Um, it reminds me of the Herbert... 
Spencer saying, you know, I'm back in the spiritual um, appendix in the back of the book, is contempt prior to any real sincere investigation to it. I could not investigate it, and I would not. So when Ebby had suggested yeah, Bill, I can see you bristling here a little bit, buddy. You're bristling a little bit here. So, you know, let's just put this all to the side and you just choose. Boy, didn't that melt my, my heart and then appeal to my ego all at the same time. If I could, if I could just, if I could just have some say so in it, you know, I could start from that particular point. But when in fact what truly ended up happening was that there was this edge in that gave me just a teeny bit of buy-in. And for me, it was coupled with surely the desperation of being the last house on the block because of where I would found myself. That from that particular point, these folks are so very wise. You put down the God that's before you, which was the food, do these steps, and you're going to find, Melanie, that that whole idea was there all along. I didn't have to do a one-ed. I didn't know how to do a one-ed. I didn't have to do any of those. It's happening to me. It's already there deep down inside every man, woman, and child is a concept. And I am just kind of telling you this, in, in fact, um, from hindsight, that it's exciting. I put so much effort into trying to figure this thing out. And either this side of recovery or that, I couldn't and I didn't. And funny, funny, funny thing, uh, joke on Melanie, was it actually came and happened to me. And I'm just... Oh, so blessed by the whole process. And it is a process. Somebody mentioned that already earlier. Thanks, Julie. I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie C. And Nadia B., followed by John K. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Nadia B., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Reader in Connecticut. And uh, I wanted to speak today to this phrase, the word God still aroused us certain antipathy and uh you know i'm i'm very visual person and um you know when i hear the words images pop up in my head somehow uh you know in my thinking in my mind um so i had this image attached to that word you know certain ideas that i acquired um in my life um in the past, you know, from my childhood, from from living, um, I had, you know, my old ideas. They weren't so good or bad. They just were there, you know, connected to my thinking. And um, somehow this idea that I had was that I was always in trouble with with this power, with this God, um, you know, I, I had a lot of shame and I never felt like I was good enough or deserved, um, you know, to be better or to learn something new. Uh, and, you know, I had that understanding that somehow the mistakes of the past, maybe, or something that I did, that, that it was impossible for me to change. I was, you know, really simple-minded, and I didn't think that I deserved better life. I was ashamed of myself, and I thought that I deserved the suffering of compulsive overeating. And, um, you know, I uh, think that this idea, this, you know, new statement that I was, you know, considering, um, 
that's what melted the um, the intellectual understanding of that power. You know, I don't think today I understand this power better than I did two years ago or a year ago when I put the food down. I don't think that I understand that power, but I know that it's there. I can feel it. And that's for me um, a difference. And I took certain you know, it took certain time and it took certain action for me to um, feel that power, you know, to be able to stand in that warmth of that power. Uh, it, and the only, um, you know, beginning for me, that the only thing that was required for me was to let go of my old idea, of my old image, and maybe try to consider, you know, and that's what being willing. It's sometimes we say, you know, pray for the willingness to be willing. I love that statement. And, you know, for me, all I had to do is consider letting go of my old ideas and think and try, you know, new things and experience that power. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nadia B. John K. followed by Christine M. Good morning. I'm John Kiernan, recovered compulsive overeater from Los Angeles. I, um, boy, I'll tell you, probably the most important sentence in the book for me when I read it the first time. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? And to me, um, there was another sentence folded in that. It was actually slightly behind it that that isn't seen, which is. Why don't you unchoose the conception of God that was given to you uh, early on as a child that you always had a problem with and start over? You know, you, you have to erase the first thing to be able to put the, the second thing in place. And, you know, Bill talks about it throughout here about, you know, that he'd always believed in a power, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, it was you know, with with ministers and the most most religions, et cetera. In other words, we all had, I believe, a lot of negative things, you know, put in our uh, our lives through experience uh, when it came to things like spirituality and higher power and religion that really had nothing to do with what we really needed, but because we, you know, a lot of us got this as kids. This is what this was what was handed to us, and this is what we had to go with, without really understanding what what it was and how to make it uh, a part of our lives. And that's why, you know, you end up with as as Bill says, a certain antipathy. Because, you know, I I can't speak for anybody, but I know a lot of the things I was told. Nobody really did a good job of explaining the original religion of my birth. And there was no connection whatsoever. There was no connection. There was no feeling of of anything there that would help me. It would tended to be more punishing. Uh, the, the religion I was raised with, even though it wasn't said, every depiction was that of, a, of an older male. And having come from two lines of nasty Irish alcoholic males, uh, the idea of a higher power that was going to have that gender was just something I had trouble with. And and all of it, just it, it, the important thing, I think, in this sentence, that sentence, is the one that isn't said, which is to unlearn what I had. If I could unlearn everything I was taught and start from a blank slate and then move forward, I could change and I could make the higher power of my own 
choosing. And again, and I've said this a thousand times, we've heard me say it, I, I, the most important thing was I had to become the lesser power because I tended to be like, you know, Bill talked about the intellectual, the, you know, I've had a high IQ, but you know, wow, I was the drunkest, fattest, high IQ guy you ever met, you know, <laughs> and nothing could help me with that. I needed a power greater than myself that could help me with my problem. And once I started to make that connection, a lot of things changed. And the most important thing was a feeling of peace. And of, you know, the other thing that happened is when I sort of made a connection with a higher power, I also felt connected to everybody else as well. Mm-hmm. In other words, I felt there's some kind of oneness. And when you start to feel that, you lose a lot of that self-centeredness because if you know it's not all about you and that we're all in this together. And uh, what a wonderful sentence. And again, the thing that made it for me wasn't just why don't you choose a power, your, you know, your own conception, but why don't you first unchoose, erase, and start from scratch. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, John Kay. Um, Christine M. followed by Lynn B. Yes, this is Christine M. Gratefully recovered in Missouri. And um, for me, um, I just, I was used to throwing self-will at everything, you know. I, my ego was so huge that I thought I could just, you know, uh, I was always going to get in there and make something happen. I'm going to make this happen. And then I can go around and brag and say, I did this and I did that. Um, that's the way it was. And um, I tried to take these steps intellectually, and I always got back into the food. And I struggled in OA for um, a few years before I actually got recovered. And, you know, the big book doesn't say we're intellectually sick. It says we're spiritually sick and we had to accept spiritual help. Um, So, you know, um, I had to take these steps in my heart. And um, that statement that said, why don't you choose your own conception of God, that took my excuses away because I used to try to find any reason to identify out. And I thought that, um, you know, I thought I, I was in victim mode and I thought that, you know, God has time for everybody else but me because I'm the worst person in the world. And that's, that's still ego. It's just pride in reverse that the 12 and 12 talks about. And um, it wasn't until um, I got in enough pain to where um, I was willing to sincerely reach out to something greater than myself instead of reaching out to my own intellect, to my own self-will, to reach out to something greater than myself and ask for help and humble myself and say, you know what, I can't do this. And everything up until this point, I've made a mess of. And um, when I did that, I was able to put the food down and I was able to put, put the food down long enough to work the steps and get recovered and have a true connection um, with the higher power of my understanding, which is God for me today. Um, but also, I just want to say that this program's for anybody, even if you're atheist or agnostic, it can work for you too. Um, there's people who are recovered. Um, it's for anybody. But um, for me, I'm really grateful for the gift of desperation. I'm grateful for that pain that I got um, back in 2015. It was two days before Thanksgiving because without that pain, I never would have had the willingness to just give up and say, okay, um, you know, there's something greater than me. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it, but it's something greater than me. And and 
you know, they can do a better job with managing my life because I can't manage my own life. So um, I'm just really grateful to be here, grateful that I'm recovered today, and grateful that I'm on the meeting with you guys, and I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Christine M. Lynn B., you're next. This is Lang T from sunny California, sitting in the sunlight and in my hot tub. Um, and this is the first time on Vision for You. I absolutely adore Bill's story, and he is sitting across the table from Debbie, who he claims is a miracle later. He's a miracle in front of him, someone who was a hopeless alcoholic like him, like Bill. And he said there was something about his eyes that was different, that clarity of vision the clear eyes of someone who's in recovery. And, you know, I've been in OA a long time, and it took me a long time to get to this point in my recovery. And basically what it is is I think that Bill here, you know, he's at the bitter end. He's, you know, he is, you know, an alcoholic of the worst variety. He's in the bottle. His life's a shambles. And here's someone who, is rather intelligent man, not unlike myself. You know, I was lauded for my uh, high IQ and going to college when I was in high school and all the degrees I have. And what happened is when he hit, you know, a wall and his intellect just couldn't power through that wall, the frustration level that is induced by someone who is used to getting his way intellectually. In other words, he's a smart man. And a lot of times he gets his own way. Well, that's playing God, you know. And when you think that you are in control of the outcome, I mean, you could do all the indicated steps of wanting to get something done, but the outcome is left to God. Well, I just now understand that. And I've been in OA for 18 years. You know, I'm not God. The serenity prayer, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Well, you know, um, you know a lot of times I think I can change it. And that frustration of not being able to change it. You know, going back on what I was taught as a child, you know, uh, Len, you could do anything if you put your mind to it. I mean, this was the message I got from a compulsive eater who was very successful. My mom is very successful. She's a very successful businesswoman. um, And she's a compulsive eater, not surprisingly. And I think what, um, you know, what I learned was, yeah, I could do whatever. You know, it's my effort, my will, my control. And the thing is, is that when things don't go my way, that frustration says, wait a minute, they're supposed to go my way. I'm used to getting my way. And what happens is ultimately, you know, I, the frustration builds. I don't have any way to effectively deal with that frustration and I run to my addiction. And mm-hmm. so now that I understand that my, my, um, you know, that I could do everything that I can in my power, in other words, the next indicated step, but the results are up to God. And I think that that icy intellectual mountain of realizing that he's not in control of everything, that he's not God, and that he could have the conception of God that he wants uh, is wonderful. I mean, my God spoke a foreign language. He had real, real, real uh, rigorous rituals. I uh, had to go to you know school after school to learn this language. I really turned my back on the religion of my upbringing. But today I can embrace the notion of a God that's personal to me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lynn, for your share. Um, this is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I want to sneak in for a second. 
you had talked about the word God still aroused a certain antipathy. I can never say that word for some reason, but you know, the God that I was brought up with was the God that um, my mother um, was forced to learn on a reservation. You know, her great spirit was, you know, almost stripped from her. So it's like, I was afraid of that God and I didn't want that God. So when I came in the program, I just wanted to lose weight. And when they talked about God and they had we agnostics, it's like, I don't need to read that. I have a God and believe me, I don't want to even go there. So I was already at a minus because I wouldn't go towards the whole God idea. But the coolest thing is if you read down to that next, the third paragraph when we, or the second paragraph, why don't you choose your own conception of God? Yeah. Why didn't I? And when I did that, that is when I did enter the sunlight of the spirit. I got to open up to a life force in me, throughout me, above me, around me. There's no limit. And it has been such a miracle because I used to only go to this other God when um, I thought I was going to, you know, die from too much food or uh, drugs or whatever. And it was like, you know, I would bargain with that God. If you, if you save me from this, I won't do it again. But of course, soon I would wake up, I would do it again to a God that I have today which brought me through an experience this week. I had um, some um, hard decisions to make uh, around um, some employees. And, you know, I, I worked through it with my sponsor. I prayed. I meditated. I, I lifted people up in, in healing white light. And, and when, when we had an event, I was able to have integrity. And I, that's not me. That's my God. Because my God is so big. Yeah, the food is down, of course. My God, yeah, entire abstinence. But then what? It's like life. How am I going to live my life without Julie being in charge? Because that is such a not a good thing. But I get to wake up and say, yay, God, I'm in this with you. And it's not, I don't call on God only when I have a problem. I call on God to say, thank you. Thank you, creator letting me wake up today and from a woman who had a god that she feared and really disliked yes disliked and as soon as i turned moved out of the house i never returned to that faith to the god that i have today that envelops me in every move i make not to say that i follow it all the time don't get me wrong but i do have a god and i love that god and um and it's only by working this program having a spiritual awakening and living in 10, 11, and 12 that I have that relationship. And uh, with that, I'll pass. And we do have time for a few more shares. Uh, who would like Kenny to Kenny LC. Mary, Mary H. Kenny L. Okay, Terry Kenny LC. Okay, hold on. I think we're too Kenny L. Kenny, I have you, Penny. And then there was a Roberta, I think. Yes, Roberta L. Terry KB. Uh, Sherry, you would be the last one. There's somebody before Roberta. Mary Mary H. There you go, Mary H. Okay, Yay. let's see Penny, Penny LC and Mary H. <laughs> thank you, Julian. Thank you for your service. I just wanted to reflect on the idea that that when I had to stop and think about, you know, how how I was going to conceive this higher power of this 
of this program, these 12 steps and this, and this way of life, um, what, I, what I had to realize was I came with so much uh, input from, from life and from, you know, our world around us. And if I stopped to think about how for centuries people have struggled with the concept of God and, and seen how many concepts have been created and in how many forms and how many definitions. And I, and I was able to realize that, you know, man throughout time has tried to wrestle with this whole concept. So it's only understandable that it's a challenging concept. But what I had to allow myself to realize was that I didn't have to adopt or believe any of those other concepts that were out there. All of those people came up with those concepts. And I would be able to come up with my own concept. And it could be completely free from all of those other thought processes. And that was scary. That's a scary thought. So, you know, of course it's a bit intimidating. But it also, there's a lot of freedom around that. And... Um, and it allowed me to be open to just exploring. And the idea that, that all of those concepts, a lot of those other concepts are all based in a religion. And, and that's not what this program is, is all about. It's a spiritual program. I needed to just find a spiritual higher power that was somebody and something and some whatever creation that I could relate to. It didn't matter what anybody else did. And the hardest part was that I came with defiance and resistance, bar none, to the, to the program, to, to letting down my, you know, putting down my food, to all of that. There was a lot of defiance and resistance in me still. And I had to let go of that. And in that same way, be able to let go of that resistance to the idea of a, of a higher power. That was my concept. And when I could open that door and allow myself the freedom to walk through it and explore, that's when I was able to realize that I could unfold this, this vision for myself. Didn't have to fit anybody else's definition or anybody else's image, just my own. And that's where the power came in for me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Penny Elsie and Mary H. And, and followed by Roberta L. I think that's all the time we'll have. Thanks. Uh, did you call me, Mary H.? Sorry, I was unmuting. I did. Oh, yay. Okay. I'm Mary H., recovered compulsive overeater in Northern California, and uh, so happy to be awake for a, a meeting to participate. And I absolutely love this topic of uh, your own conception of God. It's probably, I just was thinking of a thousand things I could and would want to share on and will continue to share on. And um, and I love talking to my sponsees about, um, you know, what's your conception of God? Talk to me about that. What are your prejudices about having a conception of God? Because those are all things that I needed to do to develop a, a concept of God. And one 
thing that comes to mind is um, a friend of mine um, shared with me a painting and described this painting to me, and it really helped me of, of the many things form my form my conception. And my mom's an artist, and um, she would always talk about paintings and their meanings beneath the painting. So to get past the symbolism and look at a meaning. And for me, um, the big book has a lot of symbolism that I need to get past in order to get the meaning, like that it's mostly men, it's uh, Christian-based, and but underneath is where I need to get. So um, my friend of mine who's Christian pointed out this painting, and first of all, the painting has a man, and it looks Christian-based, and he just said, you know, forget that part look at look at the meaning underneath and um and I love men so I I really don't have a problem with you know seeing men and uh as a higher power but um that's another problem and so the picture I'll get to the picture the painting is this figure that's standing outside a door and he's standing um, he's got a very just gentle look to him, and he's got his hand up on the door with the back with his knuckles against the door like he's about to tap on the door and he's leaning in and he's like he's listening and what I got from that and what I was told was that you know I'm inside and God is outside, and he's waiting for me he's not and, he's, and once in a while, he's tapping on the door just to give me a little reminder that he's there. And But he's not going to open the door, and he's not going to rush in, and he's not going to, you know, because I'm very skeptical, skeptical and very guarded. And if he had forced himself into the house and said, this is the way we're going to do it, come this way, I would have said, screw you, that's not going to happen. And And I'm also that little child in there going, I'm going to do it. I do it my way. I do it, you know, I'm two years old. Don't tell me what to do. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that I was going to share all this, but I'll wrap it up with saying that that image, the message under the image for me really helped that, that he's always there, and it doesn't matter he, she, what. Always there no matter what, just waiting for me to ask mm. for help. And that's exactly where I'll wrap up. So thank you very much, Julie. And I pass. You're welcome. Thank you. And Roberta L., you have about a minute and a half. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Roberta L., grateful, recovered, compulsive old reader from Los Angeles. I'm really grateful for this meeting, and I absolutely love these three paragraphs. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? I don't know why I didn't hear this earlier when I was in the program. You know that I needed a personal God. I kind of lived for um, 22 years with half measures, not having a real connection, a personal God. I kind of just floundered in the program, had little bit of success. But um, it wasn't until 15 years ago when my sponsor guided me to make my own conception of God, not somebody else's. I was always looking outside myself for the answer, and it finally came to me, like in The Wizard of Oz, when 
Dorothy is told you could go home anytime you want. God is within us. God is around us. God is everything. So my own conception of God, I took a blank piece of paper and just started writing words and concepts and connection. And it's continuing to grow. I continue to talk to God all day. I didn't know how to pray to God. And I didn't know how to talk to God. It was something so foreign to me, someone so far away who was allowing bad things to happen. I thought of it as a blamer rather than someone who could support me and help me through the hard times. So I am definitely feeling like I'm in the sunlight at last. I'm so grateful that I moved to California three years ago and see the sunlight so often. And thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much, Roberta L. Um, So it is now time to close our meeting. And I'd like to thank everyone who shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Stephanie please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Stephanie L., and I'm a compulsive, a recovered compulsive overeater from Southern California. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.